Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. I want to thank everyone for being with me today. I personally have become fascinated and maybe even a little bit obsessed with changes that are impacting our workforce, our workplaces, our society, even our world, and what that means for leaders. As an executive coach, it just sparks my curiosity. And after all, our world has changed probably more in the last 10 or 20 years than it had in the previous 100. And so the purpose of our conversation today is really about exploring that, being in a place of inquiry about all of the things that are happening around us and what's the impact of that to us as leaders. And I don't necessarily have all the answers here, but I've got a bunch of observations. And I want to start a conversation, get us all to think about how these challenges and changes that are going on around us, how they're going to impact us in the future as leaders. So that's what really today's conversation is about. So here's our plan for the day. We're going to talk about a few things. Number one, we'll talk about a few trends that are impacting leadership effectiveness. We'll talk about some of the timeless principles of leadership that I think exist, regardless of the changes around us, and those that are not so timeless. We'll talk about four key mindset shifts needed to be successful in a complex environment, and then I'll share some future of leadership resources at the end of the conversation today. So as we go through this conversation, here's the foundational question that I want to ask and challenge us all to think about. Who will leaders need to be to succeed in the future? And notice that my question is not a what question. We'll talk a little bit about what leaders will need to do, which is a very engineering-oriented mindset and way of thinking, but today's session is really more about the how and the who. How will leaders need to change and who will they need to be to succeed in the future. And I think this quote, I love this quote, use it all the time by Einstein, sort of summarizes what really is on my mind, certainly, but summarizes what we're here to talk about today, which is we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking that we use to create them. I think it's inspirational to think about it that way. We can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking that we used when we created those problems. And I want to start off today with a little story. My wife, Rachel, and I bought a mattress recently, and we bought the mattress online. I shit you not. We bought a mattress online, and listen to this because I can't believe that I'm saying this. We recently moved to a new house and decided to put the old mattress in our downstairs guest bedroom and buy a new mattress for our master bedroom. And we went through a few local mattress stores. We did the typical thing, laid down on mattresses in the stores, felt mildly awkward in the process. And in each of the stores, my wife would ask a question. She'd ask a series of questions. What are the components in your mattress? Does the mattress off-gas? She was concerned about a couple things. One, the environment. 
and two, our health, which is we're going to be laying on this, sleeping on this thing six, seven, eight, nine hours a day. And what's the impact to us as people and as human beings and on our health? And we couldn't really find a local company that made organic mattresses. We found companies that had their own internal certification processes, but sometimes we all know how that goes. They're not always so credible who's doing the checking, right? And so we kept searching and we found this company online that offered free shipping. We're talking about a king size mattress with a 100-day return policy. And my point is this, if you can buy a mattress online, you can buy anything online. And that really brings me to an important part of our conversation today, which is about some of the trends that I'm seeing, I'm sure you're seeing some similar trends as well, in our workplaces that I think are going to have an impact on leadership and what we need to do, who we need to be, how we need to show up as leaders. Because if we're not aware of these trends and these changes that are happening, we're not going to be able to change. And I firmly believe that we need to change as leaders before we have to change. Let me say that again. We need to change before we have to change. And the things that have worked for us as leaders in the past won't necessarily work for us in the future given the evolution of our workplace and our society and our world. So again, if you can buy a mattress online, you can do anything online. And it leads me really to the first trend that we're seeing in the workplace, which of course, I think we're all seeing this, just the pace of change. We're living in a world where things are moving faster than ever. We're seeing technologies completely disrupt industries and challenge existing business models. And we're seeing unexpected competition arise, right? So if you're a major mattress manufacturer, maybe you're in Boulder or Denver, Colorado, and you're tied to a traditional retail model, you better be on the watch out that with companies that have a direct-to-consumer approach, it's a lot more efficient online, just as competitively priced, right? These are the changes that we're starting to see. Who would have expected Amazon and Whole Foods would make a great marriage? But in Louisville, Colorado, we actually now purchase all of our food from Whole Foods through Amazon Prime, and that food is delivered more timely than a cable company, well, that's probably not a good example, but delivered in a really timely manner. And by the way, it's saving us time, and it's even saving us money because as our kids go shopping with us, they're not asking for all those extra treats. The point is companies are changing quickly. Technologies are disrupting existing business models and competitions coming out from places that we may have never expected it to come out from. I think the second major trend that we're seeing certainly, and my guess is you've seen some of the same, is that we're living in a very complex workplace. And we can look at sort of macro economics and the state of political affairs and trade policy and I know that with many of our clients that are globally focused, it's very difficult to plan in a global environment. Hiring is getting more and more complex, not just here in the United States, but as we're trying to source people and resources all over the world, where generally we're living in low unemployment rates, very challenging to keep up. And for people that may be sort of more at a micro level, you're operating in a senior leadership role. It's not uncommon to find complexity within your organizations. You're working on multiple teams. Maybe you lead the HR function and you also report into the CEO. And the challenge there is you're expected to be a full 
member of that leadership team, but yet you get rewarded based on the functional area that you lead. And we also have, I think, a much broader spectrum of constituents and stakeholders that we have to engage in and with. It's not just really about the functional team that you lead anymore. It's also about the executive leaders whom you're accountable to and the managers underneath you who are looking for direction and advice and feedback and coaching and your network of peers who are vitally critical to your success and are often overlooked in most leadership development discussions. So there's this complexity that I think is facing us in the workplace today that maybe is unprecedented. And then we're also noticing some cultural shifts, right? And these are important shifts that are happening in today's workplace. Multi-generational workforce with different values. People are, especially the younger generation, not just expecting organizations to be focused on profit, but also on purpose. And literally in terms of purpose and how we add value to the greater good and to the world around us, this impacts how we recruit, how we develop, how we promote, even fire people. And I don't think any of us are blind to the cultural movement in the workplace where we're seeing women find a stronger voice to take a long-awaited stand for not only equal pay, but equal access to a seat at the table. So we'll talk about even how some of these cultural shifts are impacting leadership and how it's going to really force us to start thinking differently as leaders. Okay, so as you listen to these, I'm sure none of these are a surprise. You're probably saying, listen, Sal, we already know the world's complex. We already know that things are moving faster than ever. I've got more things to do in my crazy work week than I have time for in eight or 10 or 12 hours a day. And it brings me back to really that quote from Einstein, which is, we can't solve our problems with the same level of thinking that we use to create those same problems. And this has implications for leaders. And I think part of what has to change is our thinking in order to be successful in this complex world. And primarily because most of the problems that we had to solve in the past had a high level of predictability to them. And we could look at problems and challenges in a certain way, and we could mostly use our logic, our linear thinking, maybe a top-down approach and be successful. But as we see the complexity and the change and the cultural shifts happening, our thinking as leaders has to change to deal with the unpredictability in our work. And so that's really where the distinction is. It's complex. Yeah, we all know that. But why is it complex? It's complex partially because of the unpredictable nature of the events that are surrounding us. And so today, as we look at that level of complexity, the pace of change, the cultural changes that are happening, the courses of action that we have to take aren't so clear. And there's a framework that you may have seen, I want to introduce you to it and bring it into this conversation because I think it helps us understand where our thinking might need to change as leaders. And this framework is called the Sinefin Framework. It's developed originally by David Snowden. And what I want you to imagine is this four-quadrant grid. And on the right-hand side is the realm of the predictable world, if you will. And on the left-hand side is the realm of the unpredictable world. And so as we start to look at this model as a way to help us understand thinking, in the lower right-hand quadrant in the predictable world is a quadrant called the obvious. And in this domain, there are rules in place, there are best practices, there are SOPs, standard operating procedures that we can refer to. And typically the situation's pretty stable and the relationship between cause and effect is clear. 
if you do X, you can expect Y. And the thinking required by a leader in this obvious domain is to see what's happening around you, categorize the situation, and then decide on the best course of action, right? So it's pretty obvious. The problems that you're solving have been solved before you. And as I mentioned earlier, we just bought a home. And in the lending world, this is an area where you might see this type of thinking and this type of cause and effect, right? There's rules like what happens when you lender originates a mortgage. A buyer can't purchase a house where their mortgage payment exceeds, let's say, 40% of their gross income. So there's rules in place. There's a lot of stability. And the leader has to see what's happening around them, categorize them, and decide. All right, so we're still in the predictable world. And in the upper right quadrant is another domain. It's called the complicated domain. And in the complicated domain, there's more complexity here, but the relationship between cause and effect can still be determined. There is an answer to the problem or the issue at hand. It just usually takes the input of an expert, someone who's got an expert or an expertise. And there's a range of answers typically. So this is your arena of, let's say, engineers or surgeons, intelligence analysts, maybe even lawyers and other experts. And artificial intelligence copes well here, right? Looking at a complicated problem, looking at every possible sequence of moves, and then making a decision. So as it pertains to leadership, the thinking by a leader in this complicated realm is to see their environment analyze their options using either their expertise or the expertise of somebody else, and then to make a decision and decide on a course of action. And again, the thinking by the leader in the complicated realm is to scan that environment, analyze the options, and then decide on that course of action. The cause and effect is clear. It just takes a little bit extra work and expertise to determine what it is. Okay, so that's the realm of the predictable world. The realm of the unpredictable world, we start moving into this upper left quadrant called complex, or it's complexity, right? And this is probably the realm that many of us live in today. And in most cases, this is really where our thinking needs to shift differently than how we think in the obvious or the complicated world. And in the realm of the complex world, cause and effect can only be deduced, if you will, after the fact. And there aren't any necessarily right answers. So complex decisions that cause major change fit into this category. So things like, we just had a bad quarter, what's going on? We didn't meet our numbers. Or maybe there's a shift in management. Or maybe there's a merger or an acquisition. These situations create a lot of unpredictability and flux in our workplace. And in this domain, what we really have to understand is it's hard to discover the patterns of what's happened until after the fact, right? Those patterns emerge after the leader conducts experiments that are safe to fail. And so that's why instead of attempting to impose a course of action, leaders have to start thinking differently here. They have to learn to scan their environment, run several experiments, and then learn from that, and then patiently allow those patterns to emerge. So an example of that, if you've ever seen the film Apollo 13, Houston, we've got a problem. When the astronauts encounter a crisis, 
It's a great scenario that really describes this complex domain. A group of experts are put in a room with a bunch of materials that mirror the resources that are available to the astronaut several hundred million miles away or however far away they were. And the leaders say to them, listen, this is what you have. Find a solution or the astronauts will die. And none of those experts knew the answer ahead of time. Instead, they had to conduct a series of experiments and figure out what would work from those experiments. So this is where black and white thinking isn't necessarily supportive of complex situations. And part of where our thinking as leaders need to change, where failure becomes more important, experimentation becomes more important. The last domain that can help us understand where thinking might need to change is also in the realm of the unpredictable world. And it's in this space of chaos. So imagine this lower left space of chaos. In this space of chaos, the need for the leader is different here. And so the need is for the leader to take immediate action to discover what's happening or any patterns of what's happening, and basically stop the bleeding and try to move what's going on from the chaotic back to the complex. And so you can think about situations like combat or a crisis or catastrophes or think 9-11 or maybe a little bit more realistic accidents in our manufacturing facilities or our work environments. In the realm of chaos, leaders need to bring stability and shift the environment back to complexity. So in this environment, leaders have to act quickly. They've got to establish that sense of stability and then figure out what's going on from there as the crisis, as the situation emerges, and then discern new opportunities and new courses of action over time. Communication is top-down. They're imperatives. And it's just simply no time to ask people for input. So the course of action for the leader is to experiment or act quickly, learn, and then respond. And the style of leadership works in a chaotic environment, but it doesn't work so well when an organization is not in crisis, right? Leaders start to derail themselves when they use this top-down approach. I think the realm where leaders struggle and where most of us fall today is in this area of complexity, where we live in this unpredictable world, cause and effect is not knowable until after something happens. So I'm showing you this model so that we can all inquire and think about and challenge ourselves around the future of leadership and how do we deal with this increasing complexity and increasing pace of change and the cultural shifts that are happening. And as I think about this model and some of the trends we talked earlier, there's a few things that come up for me, a few sort of themes, and I'll relate it into more pragmatic experiences here in a moment. But thematically, we can't just think with the same black and white engineering mindset that our business schools have focused on and trained us on that work very well in the predictable world, but they don't necessarily work in the complex world. We have to think differently. Number two, we also have to change our thinking to not only rely on logic, but to also draw on our intuition. I think it's the combination of logic and intuition that helps leaders think differently and be great. And then number three, we can't solve these problems alone. We've got to master the relationship side of leadership, in addition to the result side, which most people naturally rely on. We've got to master this people side of leadership and create more inclusivity in our workforces. And so what does all this mean for leadership? 
pragmatically, I think what we're noticing is leaders have to get more and more comfortable in three domains. Number one, leading multidisciplinary teams. So we've got to get more and more comfortable leading cross-functionally. And in most organizations, we're organized functionally. We've got these different departments, human resources, sales, engineering, product, data analytics, whatever they are. And in many cases, the origins of that functional organization dates back to the industrial revolution, right? And this isn't necessarily the organizational structure that's going to work in the future. And we're starting to see more of this with our clients, especially in tech companies, where teams and pods of people are organized in groups of, there might be a product manager, there might be an engineering manager, there might be a data analytics manager, all on the same team, rolling out sprints or bringing things to market. So we're going to start seeing the need for leaders to work in these types of environments more and more in the future. And it sounds easy, but it's really complicated stuff for people. And part of what we know that leaders need to do differently is they need to create an environment where you've got these peers of managers working together, where there's a space for peer-to-peer accountability. Because you don't necessarily have one leader leading this team, but you've got peers that are jointly leading these multidisciplinary teams. And as a leader, you have to create a foundation where people can give each other feedback, where there's a strong sense of trust. You can think about agile team members as an example, where they're accountable to themselves. Yet peer-to-peer accountability is almost always, for teams that we assess, it's almost always the lowest scores that we see across several different measures when we're working with teams. Very difficult set of behaviors to develop and for leaders to inspire. And I think the second thing that leaders have to start doing well as they work on these multidisciplinary teams is they've got to get good at leading through influence, not necessarily authority. There'll be people on your teams, and there probably already are today, who you're responsible for, but not necessarily have authority for. So that's the first area that with all those trends that we just talked about and with the unpredictability of our work environment, just very pragmatically, we think leaders have to get better at this. Number two, there has to be a shift away from a patriarchal style of leadership. It just won't work for several reasons. But what do I mean by patriarchy or patriarchal style of leadership? It's where the few and mostly male leaders at the top are relied on to make the most of the major decisions for an organization. And they often see themselves as the few in an organization who have the capability to make those decisions for the entire organization. I've seen this in small tech companies with, let's say, 500 people, and it really limits their ability to scale. And I've seen this in factories with 1,000 or more people, and it really limits their ability to have strong retention rates, commitment from their people, avoid safety hazards, things like that. So part of the problem is limiting from a gender perspective, because we know that from research, gender diverse teams are generally more successful than non-gender diverse teams. But even worse, this controlling style of leadership, it is not an approach that's scalable, and it cannot deal with the complexity, that unpredictability, that world of less predictability that we talked about earlier that requires experimenting and creating a space where people can fail fast and learning. So that second piece, just pragmatically, leaders are going to have to move away from this approach. 
And this is really a cultural thing that usually starts at the top of patriarchy. I think the third thing leaders are going to have to get good at is moving faster. In, in an unpredictable world, we can't rely on best practices alone or seeking out experts who already have the answer when the problems arrive that are as complex as what we've been talking about, you've got to move faster by experimenting, iterating, failing, and then ultimately learning. The old waterfall approach of waiting for a long time before building and shipping something, whether that's a software release or a mattress, doesn't exist anymore. Or companies will fall behind if they're not able to move more toward that experimenting and iterating type of philosophy to get things out into the marketplace. So these are three things that we're seeing with our clients that we're noticing in the workplace or we're hearing about as we interview and coach and talk and train other leaders. I do think there's some timeless principles of leadership and I map some of these out in my first book, Ignite, The Four Essential Rules for Emerging Leaders. There's four components there that I think regardless of the change around us, leaders still need to lead by example. It's the foundation of credibility. I think we'll always have to align our team around vision and core objectives. I think feedback will continually be something that's more and more important in the work that we do. I think we've got to build cohesion on our teams. Trust enables us to move faster. And as leaders, we always have to be engaging and cultivating our people. So I think there are some things that are timeless, regardless of those cultural shifts or the pace of change or the technology and other things that are disrupting. What's not so timeless in my mind, and again, this is just my observation, is perfectionism. And perfectionistic tendencies, this may be a strong statement, are probably the worst standards that a leader can have because they're standards that are unachievable. And as a result, leaders end up beating themselves up because they're trying to reach a standard that isn't reachable. Number two, they end up beating other people up for not being able to reach standards that are unachievable. Number three, with a perfectionistic point of view, you just move way too slow and we rely on answers and cause and effect that just may not exist or may not be knowable in the moment. So not so timeless is the idea of perfectionism. And I think tied to that is being right. In this environment of experimentation and learning and responding, failing is what will be rewarded more often than being right all the time. I read an article recently, I think it was in Forbes, about Jeff Bezos, and they were talking about how he assesses the intelligence of people. And he doesn't assess the intelligence of people based on how often they're right, but he assesses the intelligence of people based on how often they're wrong and how often they're able to actually change their point of view based on new information that's coming in. And I think this is an important trait of leaders in the future. I think there's a third piece that's not so timeless, and it's individual leadership development alone. We have to focus also, individual leadership development is important, but it's not enough. I think in today's world, we also have to focus on the collective development of our leaders, or we won't be able to elevate the consciousness level or the thinking level of the entire leadership system. So if only three or four of your leaders on, let's say, an eight or 10-person leadership team are operating at that higher level, have a more advanced internal operating system, the team is still going to operate collectively at a lower level of leadership. And by the way, so will the organization. So the question becomes, then what are these shifts? What are the shifts that leaders need to make individually and collectively in order to upgrade their thinking, in order to upgrade that internal operating system, in order to really operate 
in this world of unpredictability, in this more complex environment. And I think the changes that leaders are going to have to make, again, it's around thinking. It's less about the skills and it's more about their capacity. It's more about their self-awareness. It's more about how they think. Those are going to be the shifts that leaders are going to have to make to be successful in the future. And we've identified four areas. We often will coach and train people in these four areas to start making these shifts, and especially at senior and executive levels of leadership. And the first shift that we think is important is for leaders to change their thinking in terms of from valuing being smart to being aware. And this is an enhanced level of interpersonal agility, if you will. When we're stuck in being smart, we're always trying to be the expert. We're trying to be right all the time. We don't typically understand our impact or the leadership shadow that we leave behind as we lead other people. And understanding how you show up and why you respond to others and why others respond to you the way that they do is really in the domain of that aware leader. It's a higher level of self-awareness where you've got that ability to observe yourself make choices in the face of chaos and complexity that move conversations forward and to see other people, frankly, as human beings. And in a predictable world, we were likely technical experts and that's what got us promoted. We were probably good at doing something technically and someone said, hey, let's promote this guy or gal. And in that predictable world, even when we were leading others, maybe not being such a great leader, our technical skills could compensate but they don't compensate in a world of unpredictability. We can't lead through our technical skills alone in a multidisciplinary team. When we've got a much broader spectrum of stakeholders that we engage with, the executives that we work with, that extensive peer network, et cetera, whom we have to negotiate resources and who we may have competing priorities, we have to get focused on being more aware of how we show up and the impact it has on other people. If we don't make this shift, conflicts are going to fester. They're going to go unresolved. Silos will build between organizations. But I think leaders that can value their technical skills that have made them successful, but also value the self-awareness and arm themselves with the ability to manage their emotions in the midst of chaos and complexity will be immensely more successful and I think will be a requirement. I think this will be a competitive advantage. It allows teams, people to deal with competing priorities that they may have with their peers. It allows people to hold up multiple visions at one time when they're trying to make a decision instead of just their own vision. It allows them to deal with the discomfort that comes with operating in the unpredictable world, which by the way, nothing great ever comes from a place of safety. Great things come when we're in that realm of discomfort. And it allows us to move beyond our black and white thinking, our perfectionism that might be getting in the way. All right. So what do we notice about leaders that are able to make this shift from being smart to being aware? Well, for one, they have a lot of courage, right? They have a lot of courage to look at themselves deeply and to make some change. And we'll probably do some masterclasses on this in the future, but this change is really about deep inner work and elevating your inner game because that's ultimately what drives your outer game. But leaders who make the shift, they've got the courage to do that. They've got the courage to look at themselves and gather feedback and understand how they're showing up in this world of needing to experiment when making decisions instead of falling back and seeking safety. And on the other hand, we also see that these leaders 
have a level of humility that is really powerful. They're willing to consider feedback that they get from others. They're willing to lead less from patriarchy positions, or they're willing to push problem solving deeper down into the organization. In other words, they've got the humility to consider how they're showing up, but also give up control and decision-making. doesn't mean they don't hold others accountable. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they balance that courage with humility. All right, so that's shift one. And it's really all about trying to be smart to really expanding your self-awareness. Shift number two is moving from a problem orientation to an outcome orientation. And we're now on the result side of the equation. We think leadership is really a combination of being of balancing results and relationships and doing both well. One without the other is not sufficient. In leadership, we have to do both well to be effective in a sustainable way. And in a predictable world, we often relied on our technical skills to fill many of the gaps that came up in our leadership. And it was all about getting the job done. But those gaps expand in an unpredictable world when we're overly focused on our tactical and our technical skills. And what happens for leaders who have a problem orientation is that they solve problems by seeing a problem and fixing it. And then they see another problem and they fix that too. And they see another problem and fix that too. And it's the squiggly line, right? It's the tension and relief. It's this never ending cycle of problem arises and I fix it. And a problem arises and I fix it. And it's a reactive model where there's no relief and it's not a scalable model. But leaders who operate from that outcome orientation really do three things well. At least this is what we've been observing in the workplace. Some of this we've talked about. One, they have a cross-organizational advocacy focus, meaning their shift moves and their focus moves from just their own department or their own area of responsibility to a broader view of the organization. They essentially take a systems approach to problem solving. And they begin asking less of what is my function need? And they shift to ask more of what does the organization need? It's not just about aligning their department's goals with the strategic goals of the organization, but it's also about integrating their goals with other departments horizontally. So cross-organizational advocacy is a really key part of what we see leaders doing. We also see leaders in this area driving strategic vision. And it's really about maintaining a broader perspective and a longer-term perspective of what they do. And I think leaders, part of the thinking that has to change here is moving out of this mindset of, I'm not visionary. That's just not me. That's for Jim over there. Leaders that will lead well in the future will think longer term. They'll be able to paint a picture of the future and their focus will shift from this week and this month. And depending on your level of leadership, maybe even this quarter is to short-term thinking, to longer-term thinking, six, 12, 18 months away. Because without that sound vision, the change initiative that you're leading will not add up to anything meaningful for your people. And then the third piece here is around building people capacity. Really, this is about scalability. It's about investment. It's about building capacity of your people so that ultimately you can multiply your impact by expanding how your people show up. The real shift for leaders here isn't saying this is valuable. It's recognizing that it's valuable enough for them to spend a significant amount of their time doing it, coaching, training, not just investing in outside resources, but actually doing the coaching yourself. 
So leaders that make this shift from that problem orientation to an outcome orientation, what we notice about them is they balance these characteristics of being demanding on one hand, but also being open. So demanding from our perspective means they've got high expectations, they focus on results, they expect the most out of their people, and they also know that they get what they expect and they get what they tolerate. And we also know from our observations and our research that the best leaders, especially in the earliest phases of crafting and communicating a vision, they also remain open. Whether it's that two-week sprint or whether it's a longer-term initiative or a project that you're leading or a major organizational change, in the earliest phases of creating vision, they remain open as opposed to seeking closure. All right. So, so far, we've talked about two shifts from being smart to being aware and from a problem orientation to an outcome orientation. The third shift, it's sort of a dual shift. Some of you may recognize Ben and Daryl from some of the books that I've written. But the dual shift really depends on your leadership style in general, if you will. So I'm going to exaggerate a little bit here. But what I want you to imagine is two leaders, each at a different end of a continua, if you will. On the left-hand side is Daryl. And Daryl is your classic friendly, cooperative, really agreeable leader. And then at the other end of the continua is Ben. And Ben is your results-oriented, aggressive, go-get-it kind of leader. And so for both of these leaders, the shift is, let's start with Daryl, the friendly, cooperative, agreeable leader. The shift is moving from consensus to commitment. And for Ben, the aggressive style leader, it's moving from compliance to commitment. So what do I mean by that? Daryl, the friendly, cooperative leader, he tends to be a people pleaser. He's extremely concerned about people and making people happy and getting agreement. And there's some gifts in that, but there's some liabilities in that as well. Because decision-making is way too complicated in our world of unpredictability to be focused on just agreement and to be focused on making people happy. There's too many constituents, too many stakeholders. So the shift here is for Daryl to focus more on commitment instead of consensus. And Ben, on the other hand, with his results-oriented aggressive leadership style, he tends to formulate his vision and then he just implements it. But he forgets about the people around him. He forgets to create alignment and he forgets to create buy-in. And as a result, people tend to be compliant. They may get a result in the short term and get the job done because of that pushy leadership style, but he doesn't really win the hearts and souls of his people in the process. He doesn't build commitment in the process. So regardless of where you're starting, part of what has to happen here is we're on the relationship side of leadership, if you will. Part of what has to happen is we have to get really clear about our messaging, structured intent and intentional messaging. This is about helping people gain clarity. We have to help people understand the rationale behind our decisions, right? So this is about explaining the why. And maybe most importantly, we have to engage people in dialogue. Maybe not necessarily in the actual decision that's being made, but we have to allow for some dialogue so they can understand what's in it for them and what's happening. So again, this is about winning the hearts and minds of our people, and a consensus approach doesn't work, and a compliance approach doesn't work. This is about building commitment. And what we find is that there's two characteristics of leaders that do this well. Number one, they're completely driven, right? They're focused on results, and they've got the resolve to do what's right for the organization, whether that's eliminating poor-performing team members or discontinuing poor-performing product lines, right? They've got the drive to do that. They're not scared about that. They also are vulnerable. 
this is such a critical characteristic of leadership. It's being talked about more and more in leadership circle these days. But vulnerability really means the ability to ask for help or offer help or admit mistakes or encourage your people to fail fast, right? These are all very vulnerable behaviors and so critical to succeeding and creating an environment where people can succeed in an unpredictable world. All right, shift number four is really around making the shift from a focus on task management to being a champion or an evangelist. And there's a distinction here, right? People that are focused on tasks are not strategic. They tend to be siloed. They tend to be narrow in their thinking. And the champion tends to be more of the supporter or representative of a cause, to be the promoter, to lead the cause. And we're really talking about disciplined execution here, right? We're back on the results side of leadership. And this is where our model between leadership and management maybe is most closely linked. And it shows up differently in different size organizations. What you might do as a director or vice president or a senior vice president looks very different in a 50 or 100 person company that does in a 10,000 person company. But part of the mindset shift here is moving away from just being entirely focused on the project plan and issues and shifting that thinking to where are we going? What obstacles can I help get out of the, the way of my people so they can be successful? What do people need? What strategies do we have to put in place? That's the role of the champion. And what we find most is that champions are doing things like creating focus. They're empowering their people. We go into organizations and we see teams and leaders in organizations with way too many priorities, way too many things on their plate. And guess what? When everything's a priority, nothing's a priority at all. So being able to focus people and then empower them is really key to the champion. We also see champions keeping score, but not just in the traditional way by measuring lagging indicators. They also measure leading indicators. It's like going to a football game and not being able to see a scoreboard. I imagine go to a football game and not knowing what the score is, like down by down, play by play, what's going on. You just have the big picture score of what the score is. And so the leading indicators are really important to let people know if they're winning, not just when a touchdown is scored, but along the way in sort of chunks of what's happening in the workplace. So leaders that really play this role of champion They're focusing their people, they're empowering them, they're keeping score, they're maintaining not just a sense of urgency, but also accountability. And leaders that do well here, they really are balancing two sets of opposing characteristics again. One, they're experimental in nature, meaning they don't get bogged down in analysis paralysis in the face of complexity, but instead they realize the need to experiment when the answers can't be found from the experts or from best practices. And they're also empathetic, right? They can not only put themselves in the shoes of others to understand challenges and strengths and talents that are on their team, but it's also the ability to manage relationships, which are so critical with all the trade-offs and the handoffs that happen on multidisciplinary teams and when you really step into this role of being a champion. So, We talked about a lot of things today, but those four shifts from smart to aware, from a problem orientation to an outcome orientation, from consensus and compliance to commitment, and from task manager to champion. And we talked about the trends that are impacting leaders today and how some of our thinking needs to change. We've talked about some of the timeless principles of leadership and some things that are not timeless, like perfectionism and being right. And then we looked at those four mindset shifts. One last comment, and then we'll start to wrap up today. 
our intent really was to help you think about the future, what's happening in our workplace, in our world, in our society, and to think about what that means for leadership and what that means for leadership effectiveness. And if you realize that it's time to start upgrading your internal capacity as a leader or even your leadership as a team as a whole, we can help. And one way we can do that is we've got a four-hour future of leadership workshop. It sort of builds on the things that we talked about today. And it's really to help you and your leaders shift your thinking, especially around things like how you craft and communicate a vision, how you align your people, and how you champion execution. And the program starts with a personalized leadership assessment. Uh, it includes on-site workshop. It includes some pre-reading. Typically, we use my book, Unite the Four Mindset Shifts for Seeing Leaders. And then we supplement the program with some follow-up tools and even measure behavior change using our Coach Metrics technology. And thank you for joining me today. Because you've joined me, we're going to throw in two 50-minute coaching sessions with one of our great leadership coaches to help accelerate that behavior change. So I hope that you've taken a few things away about the future of leadership, the implications of that, and some of the shifts that you've had and that you might need to make. We're continuing the conversation and we hear more about future blog posts. You'll hear more about resources that we've got coming down the pipe and you'll hear more about our podcast that will continue from here today. So thank you all for joining me today on the future of leadership and some of the trends that are impacting our world and our workplace. And I look forward to hearing from you and learning more from you as we interact in the future. Thanks. Thanks.